You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Good morning, University of Baptist Church. My name is Josh, um, and I'm going to introduce our speaker today, uh, my friend Sean Palmer. Uh, uh, messaged me a few months ago and um, said he's going to be in town this weekend and I decided, well, let's go ahead and take advantage of his travel plans. Uh, Sean is a gifted communicator. He's the teaching pastor at Ecclesia in Houston, Texas, one of our sister churches. Um, He's a friend and he's the author of 40 Days of Being a Three. So if you were looking for a break from my obnoxiousness this week, well, too bad. Um, I'm just kidding. He's a, he's a much better three than I am. So, um, But I'm so grateful for Sean and all the work he's done and the way he's loved us. You may remember Sean's one of the last uh, voices we heard from before we shut down for the pandemic. So I feel really great about having him back today. So would you please welcome my friend and a gifted communicator, Mr. Sean Palmer. Thanks. Thanks for that. Am I? Are we good? Thanks for that. I didn't want to mention the whole... Like the last time I was here is right before COVID, because it wasn't my fault. <laughs> and I feel very self-conscious about that. Um, but yeah, I, I do have the honor, like if you were just um, one of those Enneagram people. But I, I, I do get to tell people that I actually wrote the book on being a three. So if you have any questions about that, um, I get to do that. I'm grateful to be here. Greetings from Ecclesia. I know so many People in this community have connections to that community. We were both churches planted by uh, the same person and are um, so many wonderful ties and blessings and relationships. So um, that is my offering to you. We're going to spend some time in the scriptures together. And as we do that, would you allow me to pray for you? Creator God, we are grateful for this day and this time, this tribe of people who have gathered together voluntarily to worship you. And we arrive here this morning, Lord, in so many different places with you. And some of us feeling very close and very connected and others feeling very distant. And some, God, even asking whether any of this is real at all. So we would ask that you would grace us to speak with us and speak to us, God, in ways that we can see, know, and understand. And toward that end, Lord, I pray that you pour through me the gift of teaching, that everything said here be from you and because of you and guiding us toward you, Lord, as we partner with you to bring about your preferred future for all of creation. And we ask it in your name, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So speaking of COVID, uh, I actually had COVID toward the end of last year, toward the end of 2021, if I've got the math right. Everything just sort of blurs together now, and I don't know what year it is or even what day it is. So what happened, what we think happens, I have two daughters. The oldest is 18. The youngest is 15. And we think the 15-year-old came back from school one day having caught COVID from one of her friends. And this was inevitable. We live in a large city. It's a very diverse city. Um, Omicron was like spiking. And just about everybody we knew had COVID. My, My daughter actually said, Dad, everybody who's anybody has COVID. So, okay. So she had it and she did the whole 
quarantining in her room. And then a day or two later, I started feeling not so great. But I had the video, this video that we had to record at church. And I thought, oh, it's just allergies. I'm just having allergies. I have really bad allergies sometimes. Uh, And then it didn't get any better. So I went and took the test. And then my oldest daughter wasn't feeling well. And then my wife wasn't feeling well. And we all had COVID. And I'm, I'm not the person that would ever tell you. I think most scientists and most doctors would argue against this. You should not try to get COVID. But I did think if someone in our house was going to have COVID, let's just all have it at the same time. Because I don't, like, I am not physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally capable of being away from my children for 10 days. Like, that's just not going to happen. So they can say quarantine in your room. Like, we're just not going to do that. Plus, when she got COVID, when all of us had COVID, it was over Christmas break, and we really weren't going to do Christmas all in different rooms. And I had some friends who actually did that because a lot of people did have Omicron at the time, and they opened their Christmas gifts in the same house over Zoom. So I was glad we, could, we didn't have to do that, but there were so many things that we couldn't do. Like we couldn't do our Christmas Eve services with our community. There are lots of traditions that our family has established over the years that we couldn't do. But we were able to do some things just as a family. And and I'm one of those people, like I'm okay with being at home. Like some of you remember two years ago when it was like two weeks to stop the curve and everybody went home. And some of us are introverts, and I was like, I've got books, I've got movies I haven't watched, I've got a Netflix subscription, I'm gold. Like, I don't want to be with all you people anyway. And then there are, like, the extroverts who, like, that sounded like the seventh layer of Hades, like, to have to do that. And, like, you guys were out two hours in. You're like, I can't do it. If I don't have other people's energy to siphon off of, I don't know how to exist. But this week that we all had COVID, and that was back when they were telling people to stay at home for 10 days and not just five because they realized that we're Americans and we have no self-discipline at all. What felt worse about all of that was just feeling stuck. Like not being, it's not when you can't choose to go someplace else, but we couldn't go anyplace else. And all of these events that were happening around us that we were used to participating in, we just felt stuck. And I hate feeling stuck. I hate feeling stuck in any area of my life. I'm one of those people, and maybe some of you are like this, where you just love forward movement. Like you love to make progress. Like, I don't like waiting for things. If I'm at the gas station and I'm getting gas and put my card in and it says, see attendant, I will go to another gas station before I will go see that attendant. (laughs) And you know you would too. You've done it. I hate feeling stuck. And that's a small thing. But it really gets bad when we feel stuck 
and things that matter. Have you ever felt stuck in a job? Whereas I'm here and I don't particularly like this thing that I do or the people that I have to do it with. I'm not like fired up to go to work every day, but I've got all these commitments that I have to keep and manage and I've got a family and I've got student loans and all of these things. And I don't know if I don't have time to go look for a new job. Like I can't go without a check or you feel stuck in a relationship and you don't know where this thing is going. We don't know what he wants, what she wants. We keep circling the drain and it feels very much like I can't figure out if I wanna get in this all the way or I wanna get out of this all the way or if they wanna get in it all the way or they wanna get out all the way. And even if we don't feel stuck, we feel stuck in some patterns in relationships where it's just every few weeks or every few months, we're having the same conversation about the same thing over and over and over again, and it just keeps piling on, piling on, and I'm just absolutely stuck. And so during this time, when I was at home with COVID, with the family, my morning Bible reading just happened to be in the book of Genesis. And I was reading the story of Joseph, And one of the remarkable aspects of Joseph's life is that his life is unremarkably like mine and very much like yours. And I know the tendency is that when you open up the Bible, when you read the scriptures, that those women and men seem so remote, so far away from you. Their experiences seem so much more drastically different from their life to your life that they almost become like cartoons but they're really not. And Joseph's life is like yours because here's the reality of humanity and history. The same things keep on happening. And I know that your mother told you that you are special. And you are to God and to her. But our lives are pretty much the same. Just imagine if you were to time travel and you met someone from 1929 and you began to talk about what it's like, what it's been like the last couple of years for you. You, you might say something like, man, this is just crazy. Like we, we've, we, we've just lived through this global pandemic. Oh, for real? Us too. Well, I mean, you got to add on. What made it worse for us is that nobody knows who to believe. Like half the country believes this stuff and the other half believes that stuff. And there's all this talk about fake news and no one really knows where to go and who's telling the truth. And they would go, really? Us too. Because we have this thing called the Dust Bowl. And if you don't live there, The media is telling you that it's happening, but a lot of us, we don't believe that's happening. And you would say, well, it's crazy. I pick up the newspaper, and there's all this talk about Nazis. And they would look at you and go, us too. Like, 
one of the places we have to work through and struggle through is that when we read the Bible, there's a lot to tell us about people who have been in the same situation that we are in, which I find extremely comforting. Because I like the idea that no matter what happens in my life, whatever's going on in my life, whether it's good or bad, someone else has done this already before. And Joseph's like that. Joseph is born, and he is his father's favorite son. And he has this wild life with lots of ups and downs, reversals. There are times when he's up. There are times when he's down. And because he's his father's favorite, his brothers decide that because he's his father's favorite, let's make a very reasoned decision to kill him. And then the older brother Reuben stands up and says, let's not do that. Maybe slow down. And they sell him into slavery. So one minute Joseph's up and one minute he's down. And then he's in this house of this Egyptian official named Potiphar and he becomes the head of the house. Joseph is up again. And he had those dreams at the very beginning that, that he would be an important person. And now he is, but he, he's betrayed by Potiphar's wife. She tells stories about him making advances on her, and he is thrown into prison. And that's when I landed on a question that I had been thinking about for the two years that the world has been working through and struggling with COVID and all of the change and disruption that that's brought. And that question being, what would my life look like? What would our lives look like if we actually believed that God was with us? What would you say? What would you do? Who would you trust? How much would you hoard? How much would you give? How gracious would you be if you believed that God was with you in, in whatever situation you are, whether, whether you're up right now or whether you're down, whether it's been a really hard, difficult few years or whether it's been the best years of your life, what would the next step look like for you if you actually believed that God was with you? As in Genesis 40, that we pick up Joseph's story in prison, and this is what Genesis tells us. Sometime later, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker both offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two attendants, and so he put the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard put Joseph in charge of the men, and Joseph took care of them as he did the others. They remained there in custody for some time. So here, here's what's happened. Like, Joseph is back in charge. And now Joseph is in prison, but it's not like prison prison. I, I remember being a little kid, and there was some person in the news, white-collar crime, and he had been sentenced like 20 or 30 years in jail, and they were taking him off to jail. And my mom says... 
he's not going to real prison. That's a gentleman's prison. And I was like, gentleman's prison? That sounds pretty nice. But this is the prison that Joseph's in is where all of the officials, if you work for an official, you go to that. It's, it's, it's a house prison. And Joseph is in charge of all of the other men. And what's happened is the chief cupbearer and the baker who worked for the king, the pharaoh, offended him. And they're all there in prison with Joseph. So Joseph is in prison, which is pretty low but is in charge of everybody, which is pretty high. Then this happens. One night while they were in prison, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt had dreams. Each had his own dream, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to check on them the next morning, he saw that both men looked troubled. Joseph says, why do you both look so dejected? We've both had dreams, and there is no one here in prison to interpret them, which is a big deal because you were in the ancient world. Dream interpretation, it's not like now, right, where you have a dream and you just tell your friends, man, I had the craziest dream. Like I was driving a bus, and then I ran into a bunch of nuns, and then I was on the Audubon someplace, and then we were in the Mojave Desert. Like those, am I the only one that has dreams like that? But it was a whole industry. So if you had a dream, like you would go to the center of town and you'd find a dream interpreter to tell you what your dreams meant. And they believed that the gods or God sent this dream and it was gonna predict what was gonna happen in your life. It was gonna tell you something very valuable about who you are and what you were supposed to do next. But there just aren't any dream interpreters in prison. And it's important because if you're in prison, there's one thing that you want more than anything else in the world to get out of prison. And Joseph says, interpretations belong to God, don't they? If you'd like, tell them to me. And for many of us, like that might be enough. Interpretations belong to God. Meaning belongs to God. And as we are just walking through our lives, trying to think through what would I do, who would I be if I believed God was with me? Do you you know what we do with information that we don't understand? We don't give that interpretation to God. We give that interpretation to us. Oh, I got to figure out what this means. And maybe it means this. And he said this, and she said that. And what does this mean? And I'm trying to piece it all together. And then when we have exhausted all of our skill to put together and understand the meaning of our lives, the next round of people that we go to are our friends who don't know much more than we do, but we're hoping they will say what we want them to say. And if they don't know what something means in our lives, we do what really smart people do and just ask Twitter. Like, that's what I do. But interpretations belong to God. And what might happen to you, what might happen for you 
if you allowed God to bring meaning to your life instead of trying to force meaning in your life. Because the reality is most things that are happening right now, you won't understand for quite some time. Well, this is what happens. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blo- its blossoms opened up, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and then placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand, which is the fastest winemaking process known to man. And Joseph says, this is what your dream means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. You will place Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cup bearer. Then Joseph says, but I ask you one thing. Remember me when things are going well for you. If you have the opportunity, do me a favor and mention me to Pharaoh. Perhaps he will get me out of this place. You see, I was stolen from the land of my people, the Hebrews, and I've done nothing to deserve being thrown into this pit. I have done nothing to deserve being thrown into this pit. Now, just for reference, I am one of the first people who would argue that your life is largely the result of your choices. You you chose to spend that money. You chose to buy that car. You chose to date him. You chose to date her. You chose the hamburger and the pizza rather than the gym. Those are all your choices. But not everything is your choice. And you will find times, pockets, seasons of your life where you are in the depths and you have done nothing, nothing to be there. And that's when it's most difficult to answer the question, what would I do if I believed God was with me? And that is not a frivolous place to be because some of us have been cheated and cheated on. We have been swindled. Some of us have been abused mentally and emotionally and physically and sexually. We did nothing but we're still here. And don't ever gloss over that. Everything is not your making, but it's still yours. When the baker comes and tells his side of the story, and he says, instead of your head being lifted up, Pharaoh is going to have your head lifted off. 
And the baker thinks, wow, I should have gone first. (laughs) And then this happens at the close of the chapter. On the third day, which also happened to be Pharaoh's birthday, he prepared a huge feast for all of his servants. As they were gathered together, he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and restored him to his former office. That day, the cupbearer resumed placing the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but Pharaoh lifted off the head of the chief baker and impaled him on a tree for the birds, just as Joseph had interpreted. Sadly, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph at this time. Instead, he forgot all about him. What I find remarkable about this piece of Joseph's story is that in all the ups and downs that Joseph goes through in this story and his whole story, it takes up most of the book of Genesis, that in this little piece, Joseph at the end is in the same place he was at the beginning just in jail, everyone else's circumstances change, but not Joseph's. And how do you live when you know that you are just stuck? You are powerless over the system. Like there's nothing you can do, nothing you can say. He is just there, and he might be there forever. What do you do? This last fall, um, I met an incredible man named Anthony Ray Hinton. I've got a picture of Anthony Ray from 1985. And if you have read Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, you might remember that Anthony Ray Hinton's story is part of that. And what happened is that in 1985, Anthony Ray Hinton was tried and convicted of a double murder in Bessemer, Alabama. And what happened was that someone robbed a convenience store And the gun they used looked like one that was owned by Anthony Ray Hinton's mother. Even though at the time of the robbery, Anthony Ray Hinton was 15 miles away working in a locked um, storehouse, storeroom. And they found Anthony Ray Hinton, and the only piece, the single piece of evidence they had against him was that his mother owned a gun that looked like the gun that was used in this robbery and that they said was the same gun used in a double murder. And he professed his innocence. And the arresting officer told him, I don't understand why you N-words care what, we, what you say, why you think we care what you say. If we say you're guilty, you're guilty. And so the attorney that was hired for Anthony Ray Hinton couldn't afford a forensics expert. So the person who testified 
on his behalf about the gun was a retired half-blind civil engineer. And Anthony Ray Hinton was sentenced to life imprisonment in death row in Alabama. Well, because of Equal Justice Initiative and some other things, Anthony Ray Hinton uh, had people start to look at how just his trial was. And it turns out, after they were able to get the gun tested by three of America's top forensic scientists, that it could not have been used in those double murders, just like he said. Just like he had said in 1985 when he passed a polygraph. And even knowing that, that the gun couldn't have been the one used in the murder, it took 12 years for the state of Alabama to give Anthony Ray Hinton a new trial. Well, I got to um, interview Anthony Ray Hinton at a conference. And my first question was the same question that you would ask, would be the first question that you would ask if you could interview him, which was this. Who is the better interviewer, me or Oprah? And he said me, because clearly that was going to be the case. But I did ask him this. So you spent 30 years on death row in solitary confinement. You got to see the sun an hour a day for 30 years. How do you get through something like that? He said, well, the first thing is that you have to keep your sense of humor, which he has done because he is absolutely winsome and fun and hilarious to be around. You would think 30 years on death row would produce the exact opposite, but he is so incredibly fun to be around. He tells stories about dating Halle Berry and Sandra Bullock while he was in jail, like just the things he conjured up in his mind. And then he said, I never forgot what my mother told me. That no matter what happens, God is with you. And the reality of life is that there are plenty of setbacks, disappointments, depressions, pandemics, job losses, breakups, fractures in friendship. There are plenty of those that you cannot get through it healthy and loving and kind and gentle and good without believing that God is with you because sometimes at the end of the season, just like Joseph, you will be in the same place you were at the beginning. And I love this quote uh, by one of my favorite writers, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He says, the story of Joseph is written to be read at two levels. 
on the surface, it is a story about human beings and their relationships. It is not a happy story. Brothers are prepared to sell their own flesh and blood into slavery. The chief steward, released from prison, immediately forgets his fellow prisoner. Failing to intercede on his behalf, people betray people. Dreams are merely dreams. Hopes are destined to be dashed on the rocks of reality. We are at best co-authors of our lives. Not realizing it at the time, the very act the brothers did to prevent Joseph's dreams coming true was the first step in their coming true. As for Joseph, unbeknownst to him, his life was part of a larger story revealed by God to Abraham generations earlier when he told them that his children would suffer slavery in a land not their own. Sometimes we too catch a glimpse of the workings of fate in our lives. Many times I've had prayers answered, but never when expected, nor in the way I imagined. In many cases, the answer came after they had given, I had given up hope. Providence exists. In Shakespeare's words, there's divinity that shapes our ends. Rough hew them how we will. But there is a pause, an intervention, a break in the sequence of cause and effect, which says things do not happen merely because we wish them, but because they are part of a larger scheme of things. What Joseph discovered in the hiatus between the two parashot, which is a section of scripture, is that in addition to initiative and enterprise, we also need patience, humility, and trust. If our prayers are legitimate, God will answer them, but not necessarily when or how we think he will. This is the meaning of at the end of two full years. We must do our part. God will do his. Between them, there is a gap, not just in time, but in consciousness. We learn that we are not sole masters of our fate. Sometimes it is only after many years that looking back, we see the pattern in our life and understand how providence has shaped our destiny. Miketz is the space we make in our minds for the things not under our control. The name of that space is faith. The name of the space between what you want and what is happening as God serves to engineer our lives. The name of that space. When we don't know what to do next or how to do it is faith. And it's the only way to know what to do when you don't know what to do. And it's the only way to hold on to the fundamental belief and the deep truth that wherever you are, God is with you. Let me pray for you. God, deepen our faith our trust and commitment that you are with us. We don't see it when we don't feel it, when we wish things were terribly other than they are. That we would know that you are walking alongside us, that you are guiding us. And that when circumstances don't change, that you are still working all things for our good. And we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
This Sunday also included a significant announcement from Josh, so we're going to add that in right now. Uh, Feeling a little more tender than I had anticipated. Um, But I have to talk to you as people I love and who have meant so much to me. Um, This summer, Lindsay and I uh, began some discussions about me and who I am and and really my interior life, um, how I was doing. And one one of the questions that we asked ourselves is, um, how am I doing in relationship to, to this job, to what I do here at UBC? And um, through those conversations, we, I began to knock on some doors vocationally and to think about and imagine my life outside of UBC. Um, and of course, you know, we all think these things, but um, I, th- I would say I started to do this with a little bit more intent. And so um, I actually applied for a job in the fall and went all the way through this process and, and that did not work out and, and that was, of course, the grace of God. Um, and so after that, I, I wore that moment and had discerned that, um, okay, this is closed doors are an answer to, a discerning tool. And so kind of buckled back down and, and I thought we did some really good work as a staff in December to plan for this year. Um, and then without really as it goes trying, a friend came to me, my friend Jackson, at the beginning of January and asked me to consider taking a job. Um, and, you know, I won't bore you with the details of that, but um, through, of course, of conversation, um, we had decided that that was the right thing for me and that um, it was time for me to make a transition. And so this morning it is with grief and, um, and some joy that I'm telling you that I will be stepping down as the lead pastor of UBC. Um, I, I'll have a lot more to say on my last Sunday, which is a month from today, March 20th. Um, but what I wanted to say now is, is, to, is the really the why, which I've already alluded to, is sort of the, the interior work. And um, as I have tried to disseminate this information to some of you in the congregation, there's one particular conversation that was uh, illuminating for me. And that was with Courtney and Patrick Broadus. Um, Patrick is preaching somewhere today, but Patrick was a pastor in North Carolina before they moved back to Waco to, to be here. And um, Courtney offered me the, the gift of her tears. And um, when I, I explained much of what I just said to you, she said through tears, um, I'm, I'm just so happy for you because I remember exactly what you were feeling. And um, I think that clue for me was just uh, what I, what we, what anybody who does this job knows, and it is this mantle you wear. Um, it is, um, you know, the, the image that I have been thinking about is, is the priest in, in the Old Covenant, in the, the Hebrew Bible, who would go into the Holy of Holies and be next to this thing that could take your life. And this is what the priest would do. The priest was the conduit between God and the presence of the people. And of course, we're Baptists and we're free church tradition with priesthood of believers. So I don't mean to suggest something about my own theology and who I am, but, but there is this work you do as a pastor. And to borrow the phrase from, um, from C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, where Mr. Beaver is talking to Lewis, and he says about God, um, he, he's good, but he's not safe. That's what you do as a pastor, is you mediate this space 
of the, the good but not safe. And, and I've been doing it for 15 years. I'm just so tired. And I, I'm not complaining. You guys have been wonderful. It's, this church hasn't done anything wrong. Um, this has been a dream. It's been everything I had hoped. Nobody did anything wrong. I'm not bent out of shape. I'm not angry. There's no scandal. I'm just empty. Um, and, and I need a season of rest. So uh, I'll always be a pastor. I'm just not going to do it in church for a season. Um, a couple of questions people have asked me that I'll just, since we're all here, answer. Um, I'm not going to take another church job. I'm not going to take a ministry job. I'm working at Wakefield Family Medicine in their foundation. Um, but, but really for me, it's, it's less about what I'm going to and just the work I need to do for myself. I need to heal. I need to step away. I need to be me. I need to wake up without a certain kind of myself being pulled from me. Um, and so there's that. Uh, my family and I will navigate our own church future together as, as we learn. Um, you know, quite honestly, I think we'll just take a few weeks to be up on Sunday morning and not have to go to church anywhere because that's never been the case for us. Um, my wife has said that she wants to bring our kids here um, to worship with you all. Uh, we want to add stability to their life. And um, they will certainly continue to be part of the youth group. But, uh, you know, Burt Burleson, whose footsteps I've probably stepped in just about every uh, leg of my journey, uh, when he left Dayspring, took a year. And that's to give space to what needs to happen after I leave and to give space to whoever comes in after me. Uh, but, But please know I will be cheerleading and praying for and hoping nothing but the best for this place, which has meant so much to me. Um, and then I think the, uh, the last thing I wanted to say is um, uh, people have asked what they can do for me um, in my family. And of course, that's very kind. There's, to be honest, not a lot you can do for us. Uh, but what I would ask is, you know, spring break is coming up. And that was one of the many things that wasn't ideal about this timing. I actually start my new job March 14th. So I won't be employed with UBC that final week before I preach. But um, I would ask that if you can at all be here on the 20th, I just would like a chance to say goodbye and that I love you. And um, that's what that service is, is going to be. So um, I love you guys. Thank you for always being in a place where I got to be honest all the way up through to today. Um, and I'm going to step off the stage now, but we know you have lots more questions about what is UBC going to do and I'm going to turn the microphone back over to the rest of the staff because that's now their job to do and not mine. So. We love you, Josh. <laughs> I imagine throughout the room there's any number of emotions that we're feeling for uh, any number of reasons, and I just want to say whatever you're feeling in this moment is okay. Um, I'm not surprised that I'm crying. Uh, uh, but it's okay. Feelings are for feeling, so we can make room for those. Uh, I think we have a, a variety of emotions as staff, both the love and care for Josh that make us very supportive of him doing what he has to do, and excitement for his new chapter of life, excitement for a new chapter of UBC, and also deep sadness. Um, We've worked together for a minute, you know. Uh, but 
that's driven by, I think, also the other element, which is gratitude for the gift that Josh has been to us and to this community and the ways in which that will continue to shape us and live on in our community. So all that to say, we're feeling things too. Uh, if you want to talk about anything, process with this, we would love to do that with you. Um, and in the coming weeks, uh, we'll be working with leadership team. We've already started the engine of figuring out what's next. You'll be hearing a lot more about that. So obviously you're going to be curious, but that, that is coming. Um, and in the meantime, would ask for your prayers for us and for Leash Team, and for Josh, and the Carnies. Um, and for our community. Oh, gosh, Louise. <laughs> uh, and what? for our community as well. We hope that you're praying for the people sitting next to you and yeah. the unity of us as a congregation as we move forward into this new season. Yeah. Any? Yeah. Um, so we, we've known for a little while and had time to process uh, this information. And we work in leadership teams have been great. We've been working with them on kind of what this transition looks like. And so, again, in the coming weeks, we'll also have a time to celebrate Josh and Lindsay and the kids and, and say thank you and be grateful. Uh, that will be on his uh, last Sunday on March 20th. So there'll be time and moments for that as we move forward um, as we go through this and know that. Uh, we want this process to be as transparent as possible. And so we want you to ask questions along the way, give feedback and all those things. Um, and so there'll be avenues uh, for you to do that in the coming weeks as we go through this process. Um, and so uh, we are grateful for you. I think uh, Josh's emotions today, uh, he's at three. So for him to have real-time emotions is a, real, <laughs> is a thing. So that means he really loves this place. Um, and know, uh, those emotions come from a deep tenderness uh, that comes from you guys, uh, you all, uh, being such a great congregation and a, a joy to pastor and be a part of. And so um, with that in mind, would you stand as we say our benediction and close today? As we approach this week, may we love God and grace beauty and live life to the fullest.